We're going to start today's session with a conversation with Julianne Pham, founder and managing partner of Third Culture Capital, 3CC. What a nice name, Julian. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sharmana. Thank you. Thank you. Where are you dialing from? So I am uh, actually dialing from New York, but uh, the fund and myself, uh, we are based in Boston. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's start by introducing our audience to yourself as well as 3CC. Oh, great. No, thanks for the opportunity uh, to uh, to converse. Uh, so, um, as my uh, the name of my fund uh, indicates, uh, I myself am a third culture kid. And before I explain what third culture capital does, let me explain what a third culture kid is. Uh, so, mm -hmm. third culture individuals are uh, oftentimes children who grow up in a culture that's different from their parents or their passport culture. So oftentimes these are the children of immigrants, the children of diplomats, the children of global executives, uh, missionaries, military, who've kind of mm -hmm. lived um, across the world and don't necessarily have a sense of attachment to necessarily the country they're in or the country that their parents are from. And oftentimes, you know, one would describe their experience as, you know, outside with my friends, um, one dimension. And as soon as they enter the doorstep of my home, you know, it's a different culture. And so having this uh, fluid culture allows for one to grow up being very open-minded, very adaptable, uh, uh, very resilient. And these are incredible skill sets for entrepreneurs. So my own journey um, is, uh, you know, as a uh, as a, a child of um, Vietnamese refugees post-war, uh, we uh, moved to France when I was three years old. Uh, spent my formative years there, uh, and then was sent to the U.S. Uh, to the West Coast to study English when I was fourteen. And I've been in the U.S. for you know, thirty plus years and went into medicine. Um, I've had a um, a, a, a very kind of interesting journey in, in, in which, you know, oftentimes as the, the son of immigrants, you're pushed to, um, to work uh, and, and become an engineer or physician or, you know, uh, things like that. And so, you know, I, I probably made my parents proud when I decided to go into medicine and became a, a physician at a, a very uh, prestigious institution. But then I caught the entrepreneurial bug about 10 years ago and uh, had to explain to my family what exactly entrepreneurship was. But I, I started the first company, uh, which has since been acquired, uh, and then joined uh, also another company in the biotech space that we took public. And armed with those two experiences, I decided to launch my fund uh, about two years ago called Third Culture Capital, because we want to back founders who don't fit the mold. We believe that third culture founders have um, unique skill sets because of their unique uh, lived journeys uh, that really allows them to think outside the box and, and really be creative and resourceful and thoughtful about how to, uh, uh, to bring kind of equity into um, healthcare delivery globally. And so that's the thesis of our fund. Uh, we are at the intersection of culture and care delivery. And uh, the two startups that you did were both in the healthcare space, yeah? You said biotech was absolutely. the second one, and the first one was yeah, also yeah. health. Yes, 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 absolutely. Sorry, sorry I interrupted you. Um, they, they were, you know, I, I think I am a firm believer that uh, uh, 
you know, you need to be creative within kind of areas where you have domain expertise. You know, I've been a physician for you know, 15, 20 years or so, uh, have had plenty of time to feel frustrated about the things that don't work uh, yeah. in that industry. And so really the, the reason why I got involved with those companies is because I wanted to improve the system and, and find solutions. So my first company was a company called Rubicon MD, which was a digital health startup. It was an e-consult platform that connected primary care physicians with specialists. Uh, and my second company was a company called Genprex, which was a gene therapy biotech uh, for lung cancer. Oh, all right. So does third culture capital also have a healthcare focus then? Absolutely. Uh, we uh, invest uh, across multiple sectors. So we are fairly uh, sector agnostic. We will do early stage investments. And by early stage, I mean seed and pre-seed uh, uh, rounds uh, uh, in uh, life sciences and digital health in tech enabled services. Uh, we'll do devices, we'll do diagnostics, we'll look at things. But uh, at the core, we really want to invest in solutions that are going to improve the human condition through care delivery. And for us, what that means is uh, is what we call the quadruple aim. So the quadruple aim is number one, does this solution improve outcomes for patients? Mm -hmm. Number two, does this solution reduce the cost of care delivery at the systems level? Number three and number four are, does this solution improve the experience of care for patients, but also for providers? And if a solution, regardless of its modality, whether it's AI, machine learning, or yeah. you know, drug delivery or whatnot, if that, if that solution can, can meet those criteria, it is something that we would take a look at. And because um, I and my investment advisory committee are all clinicians, uh, we look at things in a very nuanced way to try to wrap our heads around what that solution can mean and whether we think that that solution can actually um, improve care delivery um, at scale. Got it. And how big is the fund? So we are raising a $20 million fund. Uh, we've done a first closing um, early last year in 2021 that has allowed us to uh, to invest in eight companies so far. Um, about you know 70, 75% of those have been software-driven uh, solutions, and uh, the other uh, you know two or three companies have been uh, what I call substrate. And by substrate, we we mean uh, biology or data. Okay. And so we are continuing to raise uh, capital in order to uh, to invest in a portfolio of about 25 companies. And um, you said seed and pre-seed. What size checks are you writing? Uh, so the typical check we'd like to start with is 250000 and we'll go up to about a million or so. Uh, we have the opportunity to partner with some of our LPs in order to... Um, you know, to invest in kind of via larger checks. But generally speaking, uh, we feel that um, oftentimes um, the types of entrepreneurs that we want to back, um, you know, tend to be underfunded and overlooked, right? These are women founders, people of color, immigrant founders. 
And so uh, giving them access to capital through small checks to get them going at an early stage uh, is, is an important part of what 3CC does. Do they all need to be located in the United States? Uh, we are uh, global by design, uh, you know, given the name of the fund, Third Culture. Um, yes, from a practical standpoint, it helps uh, if a company is established in the U.S., but we've already, for example, made an investment in a company in France. Uh, we have looked um, at companies in Indonesia, in Africa, uh, in Vietnam, in, in other countries, and um, uh, are quite um, open to, uh, uh, to support those entrepreneurs. Very good. And um, let's now double-click down on some of the companies that you've invested. You've invested in eight companies already. So pick a few and take us through what they are. And, and in particular, I want to understand how you found them or how they found you. And what is it about those companies specifically that made you write the checks? Yes, absolutely. Um, so one company, one of the first companies, if not the first company that we invested in, was a company called Intus Care. Um, the founder um, actually uh, took a, a break from his undergraduate studies at Brown University uh, with a few of his classmates to uh, start a company that would look at predictive analytics for senior care. And he looked specifically at a small um, kind of beachhead market within senior care that very few people, um, you know, have, have tried to address. What, um, what I liked about the, the company and about the founder is, number one, the founders were young, right? They were first-time entrepreneurs, but, uh, and I joke, uh, I oftentimes joke with Ro Robbie, who's the CEO, he was 22 years old at the time, and, and I used to tell him that, you know, you are the only 22-year-old I know who's so passionate about senior care. And <laughs> I think if you dig a little bit deeper, you really understand the reason why, right? And this is a little bit what 3CC does well, is to understand the the, the the unique journey of the of the founder and what drives them to do what they're doing. Um, Robbie grew up in a family where his mom uh, was uh, an executive within that senior care space, and you know through uh, you know dinner talks and conversations, that's all he heard about. So uh, mm -hmm. kind of that that kind of got infused in his head, and and he became very passionate. I wouldn't say necessarily an expert, but you know he 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 understood the vocabulary. Uh, yeah. and, and the lingual of the space. And as he um, kind of grew up and, and went to school and, and kind of gained that entrepreneurial uh, excitement, he decided that he wanted to apply his, his, um, his energy and his passion to try to solve the problem that his uh, mom had started uh, you know, exploring you know, decades ago. And so um, he brought a different way of thinking uh, using technology to to simplify the process to operationalize the pro process so what interscare does is it um, uh, collects streams of data from kind of the operational uh, data stream to clinical data streams to financial data streams for some of these um, uh, senior community clinics in a way that that's the easy way to describe that and tries to find um, care pathways uh, that will improve outcomes for uh, these seniors and would kind of reduce the cost of care, such as um, 
uh, avoiding uh, rehospitalizations after a discharge and et cetera, et cetera. And, and the idea of the of that particular niche um, uh, market of senior care, the PACE model, uh, is that the goal is to keep uh, seniors within the community, right? And as you know, um, the more functional um, an elderly person is, the the more likely they will live longer, right? Oh, if you put yeah. them in a nursing home, they'll be depressed, et cetera, et cetera. So the whole idea of the PACE model is that. And culturally speaking, I truly believe in that. Uh, and, you know, that's something that we see in other countries that has worked well. And so I believe that this is something that should exist in America if if the right um, uh, kind of parameters were there. And so I really believed in, in the mission and the dream that Robbie uh, wanted to pursue. And, uh, and so we backed him and we invested in an early stage um, uh, at a valuation of you know, 5 million or so. We wrote a small check and within 18 months, uh, he has raised a series A uh, with um, a Deerfield as a lead investor um, at a valuation that is multi multiples of what we came in uh, and that in a very short amount of time. Um, so what was that's... in the company when they came to you? What was in the company? Did you say that again? Um, the concept, or was there something already in place? There was. I um, know. Uh, usually, we like it a little bit beyond concept. Um, you know, the 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 value that we add to to some of these early stage companies. Sometimes they may be pre revenue, and sometimes they may be getting early revenue. Is is truly uh, through our network and our know-how. Uh, we like to help them establish an advisory board with some of the, you know, healthcare insiders that are within our ecosystem. Uh, we like to make introductions to them to the right people so that they can scale uh, quickly and 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 gain some learnings about the space. So that company was generating a little bit of revenue. They had a product that they were that they were improving. Um, but I think that what Robbie had that was unique is an understanding of a very uh, narrow beachhead market and where he had uh, an ability to establish rapport and relationships with some of these decision makers in that space. And we felt that that was an, um, uh, an incredible advantage. And, uh, and so uh, that's, that's what convinced us to, to invest. And how did Robbie find you or you found, found Robbie? Um, it's uh, you know oftentimes serendipity, right? It's hard to uh, to quantify how our network is, but uh, as a third culture individual, uh, I have a very unique network that is not just healthcare providers, you know, physicians and and whatnot, but they're you know people from various walks of life, and and they know that I'm very passionate about healthcare and that I invest in healthcare, and and that's how my deal flow comes. This particular um, connection was um, through a uh, um, through a consultant of theirs who frankly didn't know me very well but kind of perhaps knew about our reputation and, and made the mm -hmm. intro and and uh, you know uh, well I imagine yeah. just listening to you that you are probably reasonably well networked in the New England healthcare startup community and the investment community and the ecosystem around that so and a word gets around. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think so, you know, now, having been an entrepreneur myself, um, I think it's so wonderful when you are able to 
um, to 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 raise um, what I call smart capital, right? Um, to raise Absolutely. money from angel investors or early stage investors who truly um, understand your space, because that's that's incredible external validation. And I, we want to be able to build that kind of reputation um, as a clinically driven um, investment firm so that when early stage companies come to us, they're like, wow, yes, we would take a check, but holy cow, what an incredible network of healthcare insiders. And, you know, we can leverage your network and, 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 and learn from you and, and have, you know, someone from your network be an advisor or a board member. Like, we want to be known as that kind of firm. What is your uh, analysis of the healthcare space? Where are the big opportunities? Like if you want to kind of provide your wish list out here to our community of entrepreneurs, you know, asking for like, I want to invest in this, I want to invest in that, and these are, these are the ones I think that are the opportunities of the future, the trends of the future. What would some of those be? Yeah, um, I have a very meta <laughs> over, overview of, of healthcare, uh, just because I understand kind of you know the the nuances of it. But I'll I'll, I'll say that there are. I think we we live in an era where technology comes in easy, right? Yes, we can't yet send people to Mars and etc. We can't do teleportation or anything like that. But I mean, from, we've we've made some great. Uh, achievements in in technology, AI, machine learning, etc. Over the past decade, and um, being able to apply this technology uh, in order to accelerate, to catalyze um, how we provide care, um, is is going to transform um, our societies, and so. I think the future of healthcare is going to be at the convergence of multiple disciplines, right? I think we used to, and you know, if you look at it, uh, even more traditional investment firms when they say, "Oh yeah, we are a life sciences firm," or "We are a you know health tech firm," etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, they, you know, I, th I think I think they're missing out in an opportunity to really look at technologies that are at the convergence of some of these uh, disciplines and sectors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over the past few years, I've heard more and more of this notion of tech bio, as opposed to biotech, right, where the tech comes first. And we've invested in a company like that, where they are using AI machine learning for for drug discovery. And so the the anecdote that I often tell is if you've got two companies coming to you that are saying, yes, we do, we use AI machine learning for drug discovery. If on one company, the founders are ex-Google, ex-Amazon, ex-Silicon Valley algorithm gurus who are like, you know, we know how to do this. Uh, we've done it before. We, we're, we now want to do it in an area that is going to have an impact on society or in the world. And therefore, mm -hmm. we're going to do that for drug discovery. That's a tech company, right? And if you've got a, a group of, you know, uh, Boston uh, biotech veterans who are like, listen, we've been doing this for 30 years. We're so frustrated with the pace in which this does. They've got to be better tools to be able to get a drug out there to patients faster. Why don't we use, why don't we use AI machine learning? 
that's a biotech company, right? And mm -hmm. not a tech bio company. But at the end, they're doing the same thing. They're leveraging technology in order to accelerate drug discovery and putting a drug out there. So for us, we're looking at the intersection of all of these sectors and disciplines. Um, and I think that's going to be the future of healthcare. One particular area um, that we are very interested in is, uh, uh, is digital therapeutics or this notion that you can prescribe an app that can be reimbursed in the same way that, you know, oh, similar to how you know, a drug would be reimbursed if a physician mm -hmm. were to prescribe it. Uh, there are obviously many challenges to that because you now we're just figuring out how to do that commercially uh, mm -hmm. from a reimbursement standpoint, but from a regulatory standpoint as well. So it's an area that we're very bullish on. And what uh, is your analysis of the whole field of gene editing and uh, DNA testing and, you know, all the genetic field? Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Uh, you know, the, the, my prior company, Genprex, uh, was a, a gene therapy for lung cancer. And I think there's several ways that you can uh, use uh, cell and gene therapy. And again, um, now we've, we've seen the evolution of that and how CRISPR has come in and influenced how we can design and, 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 um, uh, and, and put some of these cell and gene therapies out there. But uh, the challenge there, I think, uh, remains uh, not so much in the ideation and the, the, the biology behind the ideas, but in the, um, the execution and how can you produce uh, some of the cell and gene therapy in a cost-efficient way, and and the cost of it, right? We've seen, you know, a couple uh, gene therapies out there, you know, for the eye, for eye diseases, for example. But when they cost, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand uh, a treatment, that's a lot of money for a treatment. And so, um, I think I think the the field needs some maturation still. But you now there's so many companies with with some wonderful uh, uh, pipelines out there uh, that I think that uh, in the in the decade of less, we're going to see uh, kind of more more options out there for patients. Julia, I want to ask one last question before we switch to the entrepreneur pit session. Um, what is the progression of science into of an entrepreneurship format. So a lot of these things need many years of scientific research before they can come in and become a company. So um, how do you see how do you see that process evolving? You know, when you're seeing these companies, it's not so simple for a team of computer scientists to just say, oh, we're gonna do now do drug discovery. Well, you know, it's not it's not that simple. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I love to talk about this. And if there was a way to, you know, have a class to discuss this, then uh, I think that would be uh, super interesting. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've put in a lot of thought of, uh, about whether entrepreneurship is something that can be taught. Um, there's just so much serendipity in how you build a company. Um, I think that ultimately a good entrepreneur, it's a mindset, it's a, it's a personality. It's really uh, about someone who, you know, has this propensity for building and taking the risk to build, dropping 
everything, you know, quitting a job that is well-paying because they have this absolute passion and confidence that they can make something work, right? That's what yeah. it takes. Um, and um, as far as how ideas get translated, the, the, I mean, in, in, in biology and life science, the, the, the notion of translational research has existed for decades, right? It's, you know, how do you go from bench to bedside? And so ideas are easy. Biology, you can figure out, you can make work. And there are so many steps in between in order to get that biology to scale it up and to go from the petri dish to animals, which are in a way kind of an artificial model, right? I mean, we can cure cancer in mice, yeah, but you know, the same drug you put in humans, it doesn't do the same. So, you know, figuring out the path from, uh, you know, cells to, to humans, you know, is a convoluted uh, journey. And uh, it takes a team and it really takes dedication to do that. And uh, it does take a little bit of luck. I think if you hear the story behind Moderna, uh, that has completely transformed how we, you know, you know our societies and, and, and the world, uh, it's, it's a serendipitous moment of people bumping into each other with an idea and saying, you know what, like, maybe this works, this is completely like, this goes against the dogma of biology as it is taught in textbooks. But, you know, if I see it with my own eyes and it works and, you know, we are all scientists here and we'll, we'll do the tests that we need, the experiments that we need to do to refute this idea and be skeptical about this idea. But each time this idea persists, then then you know that you're onto something. And, and that's kind of taking that to and scaling it to the next, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of steps um, uh, with the right people around you is, is what makes um, ideas uh, uh, into concrete solutions. So what is the synthesis of what you said when you come, when it comes to your own investment decisions? How far along does something need to be for you? Digital health is a little bit different, right? You know, when it's workflow automation or data for managing patient welfare, that's, that falls more in the uh, you know, healthcare IT space, but when it comes to yeah. science, driving drug discovery and all of that stuff, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. We are an opportunistic fund, right? The check sizes that we write for one solution will be different from the check sizes for another solution. We have to be stage appropriate, funding appropriate, and we just need to understand time horizons for the solutions. Obviously, a health IT solution may have an exit much sooner than uh, yeah. than a biotech deal. Uh, so, you know, first and foremost, we are uh, people focused. We are founder focused. We believe that genius knows no border, right? We want to see um, third culture individuals and their unique ways of thinking and how uniquely qualified they are. We want them to be able to make decisions that will impact societies across the globe. And whether those solutions exist in a predefined silo or whether they are a little bit unique and outside the box, we would favor things that are a little bit contrarian because those are the ones that potentially could transform uh, no care. Delivery. But when you, have, uh, when you have a situation where there is, you know, many years of research ahead still, I mean, many rounds of clinical trials, but even before that many rounds of research still unproven, would you invest in that? 
we, we, we have to be thoughtful. Uh, we have to diligence it appropriately. Um, at the end of the day, structurally as a VC fund, we need to see that there's a potential for an exit within a predetermined amount of time, right? Like the, the lifetime of a fund is about years. 10 years. Yes. So, you know, if I have a four year investment period and I'm on year three and a half, I'm very unlikely to invest in an early biotech idea that will take 15 years or so for an exit, yeah. right? And so the timing of the investment, you know, there are some external factors and boundaries and parameters that we have to look into. So that's why we can only be opportunistic and, and see kind of what are the best ideas and the best founders and then people that we can truly add value to in order to get them to... Uh, to successfully build something and exit something within a period of time. And in, in biotech, there is also, in life sciences, there's also the phenomenon of the drug companies buying companies, startups that are not all the way done, but are at certain earlier stages, but have some amount of proof points and they tend to also buy companies, early stage companies, relatively early stage companies. Yes. So. Yeah. All right. Well, Julian, thank you very much for coming. It was very interesting talking to you, and we wish you all the best with your firm. Yeah. Thank you, Stramana. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Yeah.